Thank you, uh, Peter, for leading us in worship. And uh, may we continue our worship as we look at what God has to say from his word to us today. The children have gone to their classes and once again the word of God will be open to them. So keep the children in your prayers and those who teach them as well. We're going to continue in our series of the Ten Commandments and um, we're just going slowly through these and this morning we'll continue and we'll be looking at the Third Commandment and I have called this for a title The Holiness of God's Name and we see this in Exodus 20 and verse 7. And it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Some will have unpunished or not, will not go unpunished. That's fine. That's a good translation. And um, this is a, another commandment of the Lord that we Christians often give it the flick thinking that it doesn't apply to us. And as we've already said, and just to reiterate it, and by the time we've finished these Ten Commandments, I trust that God will have impacted and reinforced over and over how this, these Ten Commandments or these Ten Words from God are constructed. And this Third Commandment, like the next one, the fourth, is on the first table of the law of God. The first table records the first four commandments. And these first four commandments govern our relationship with God because it is through a right relationship with Him that any person is accepted by Him and can worship Him in spirit and truth. And so without a right relationship with God, we cannot worship Him. Okay? And it's also vital to understand that these first four commandments are the basis of our obedience to the last six commandments. It's not the other way around. People think if they obey the last six, that'll set them up right for the first four in their relationship with God. But that's not how it works. That's not how the Bible explains it. In other words, we must always view the second table of the law from the perspective of the first table. And we know this because this is how Jesus taught the law. This is not my idea. Jesus Jesus taught the Ten Commandments this way. And you might be saying, well, okay, prove that. Well, I will. You'll remember the story in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 22, verses 33 to 40, there was a lawyer who was associated with the Pharisees who came and questioned Jesus about gaining righteousness and well, what is the first commandment or the greatest commandment or the priority commandment. So he kind of wanted one that was really out there so that he could say, I've ticked the box, I'm fine. And this is the answer Jesus gave this man. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. Now there's your first table summarized. Okay? That's your first table of the law. The first four commandments summarized in that one statement that Jesus gave. But then he said, Jesus said straight away, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the second table, the last six commandments summarized. In other words, so Jesus talks about the second table, the second commandment that is like the first, only based on the first four commandments. And so as we know, the first four commandments teach us how to love and approach God and the second table of the law, the last six, teach of our duty to mankind, our duty to one another. But in the first table of the law, we see the first four commandments and the first commandment of this law teaches us, teaches us and we've looked at this, that we are to have no other gods but the one true God. And the second commandment builds on the first and it teaches we are not to worship the Lord our God in a wrong way but in spirit and in truth as he is revealed in Scripture. In other words, we are not to worship, and we can easily do that, as we looked at last week. Worship God in the wrong way. The third commandment, which we're going to be looking at today, this also builds on the first two, and it teaches us the kind of reverence that we are to have in our day-to-day worship of the Lord our God. This is what that teaches It tells us that we are not to take his name in vain, but are to treat all that is true of him, everything that we learn from Scripture about him, we're to treat that and him with the uttermost reverence. And then finally, God willing, we'll be looking next week at the fourth commandment. What that teaches us is that we're to remember and honour God by, by setting aside a special day as an act of worship where we are to devote it to him. Oh, that's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? So you better come out next Sunday and listen to that. So in all in all, these first four commands, they give us, as someone has said, the who, the why, the how and the when of our worship of God. But this morning we're going to be taken up with a how. We had a look a little bit about the how last week as well, and, um, and, but it'll be more so of the how today which is an attitude of heart, by the way. It's an attitude of heart in which, we, which the Lord is to be approached in worship. And I'm sure we all want to approach the Lord and to worship him in a right way, right? So this is what we'll be looking at. And so God communicates this in the form of a prohibition and a permission, as we looked at last week as well. For he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your, gay, Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, as we have up in our text. That's what he says. But as we just look at this, we tend to just look in its negative sense. Thou shalt not. You shall not. But as we know, we cannot, as God's children, worship God in a negative vacuum. If you just take notice of the not part, thou shalt not. Okay, so what do we do? And it begs the question, well, how do we worship God? Where's the permission to worship God in the right way? If we're not to worship God by taking his name in vain, if we're not to do that, what are we to do? 
And so let's dig a little bit further and understand the fullness of the command because as it not only has a negative prohibition, it has a positive permission as well. It brings us to our first part of our message this morning. It's understanding the breadth of this commandment. Steve Lawson wrote a book who I had many years ago made in our image. Steve Lawson, by the way, for those who are not too sure, uh, God willing, we'll be here in June at our Instep Conference, and he'll be our keynote speaker. And uh, he said in his book, Made in Our Image, and I always remember it, I underlined and scribbled it, in, and he said the most important thing, and I don't think he got it, this is not original, I think he might have got this from A.W. Tozer, but he said the most important thing about you is who you believe God is. And then he went on to say, everything about you flows from your understanding of who God is and what you think about God is the mainspring from which your entire being flows. flows end quote. I want to add to that. I want to add to that by saying that one of the most telling things about any person is how they speak about God. You see, the Bible tells us that what comes from our mouths reveals what is in our hearts because that's what Jesus said, right? He said that in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. This is what he said. A good man out of the treasure, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And nothing demonstrates this truth more than this than how someone uses God's name. Many people, for example, and you will know, reveal what's in their hearts when they use the name of the Lord as a cuss word. You hear it often. I know, you're in the workplace. You hear it all the time. Or, or as the common good guy in the sky. Uh, and all this detracts and robs God of his glory. This is how the ungodly treat the name of the Lord. We hear it from their lips. Even in spite of their total unbelief in God, they will evoke God's name as a curse or an affirmation of something that they want to get across and make a point known. Or even in exclamations about whatever. This name of God flows from their evil hearts. I've even seen shortened versions of this, and you would have seen it on social media, Facebook and the likes, where you see the letters OMG pasted. And it really grieves me when I see Christians do that. But I'll forgive them thinking, well, they're probably ignorant of what it really means. They may suggest that oh my gee is oh my gosh, but really... It's a thin edge of the wedge, right? If you're a Christian, don't do that. MIG is often considered, or other words like it, as substitutes, or, or, or maybe a softened words of blatant blasphemy, so they give it a tick, it's okay to use. But what happens in the ungodly's life when the pressure of life comes on? Blasphemy and using the name of the Lord in vain is easily dragged out of them. What's in their heart? And what they do is they irreverently use the name of the Lord. And so, as I said, this is so common in our culture. And you know all about this. But you know what? 
it's going to be seen at its worst in a future day. Steve will get to this at some stage when he reaches Revelation chapter 16. So we're told several times actually in that chapter that those who are going to receive God's punishment, and I trust and hope none here, but just as a warning, anyone who hasn't approached God and been accepted by God in the way God has commanded and directed in his word, that is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, if you haven't done that, you will receive the punishment in that final day. But this is what Revelation 16 tells us they're going to do. They blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Revelation 16 verse 9, and we see that again in verse 11 and verse 21. And so when everything is done, when everything is done at the end, when punishment, eternal and divine punishment is meted out, Men from their evil hearts will blaspheme God's name. This is how the ungodly of this world treat the name of the Lord. And as we think about that, we must agree that this should not and cannot be in any way, shape or form of how God's redeemed people treat his name, right? It should be far from us. So how are we to treat the name of the Lord? This is where we need to understand that this command, though only citing a negative pro- pro- prohibition, it's far more comprehensive than that, far more comprehensive than that, because in this command we have a prohibition which naturally leads a believer into seeking a positive permission. As I said before, after all, the commandments are seen often too, too much by believers as don't do this, don't do that. And so we must ask, I think any believer with an interest in the things of the Lord, as they should do, and they will have, will ask, so what do we do? How do we treat the name of the Lord? The scriptures are very clear on this, folks. The Lord's name for a start is not to be used by his people as a curse, but as a refuge and a cause for hope. The Bible tells us, and here's the positive permission, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it, and are safe, Proverbs 18 and verse 10. I've experienced this, and I know you have many, many of you have experienced this. When the chips are down, can we say, when everything's turning to custard, and you don't know which way to turn, the circumstances are so much against you that you cry out to the Lord who is your hope and your refuge and the tower of strength. And oh, what medicine to the soul he brings. The godly will also reverence his name and treat it as sacred by obeying his commandments and keeping his word. What for? That they may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. We see that in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 58 and Psalm 119 and verse 9. The godly fear his, this glorious and awesome name. God says in the positive through Isaiah 29 and verse 23, they will hallow my name. In the Lord's Prayer, which Peter Rufus brought up so eloquently and, and beautifully some time back about as he's taking us through the Lord's Prayer in the beginning, that um, Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus prayed that way, right? And we looked at what hallowed meant. 
In other words, believers will seek to underline and make a big deal and revere the greatness of his name. And even in prayer, say such things as, So let your name be magnified forever. 2 Samuel 7, 26. They'll make a big deal out of the, name, out of the Lord's name. And Psalm 54 and verse 6, And I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. It's good to pray some of these things and remind ourselves of some of these truths of how we are to treat the name of the Lord. And even in a time of deepest trial, believers will say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1.21. See, it's an attitude of heart. Such use of God's name reveals the condition of the godly person's heart. In fact, those who love God's name are grieved when they hear his name being used as a blaspheming cuss word, right? I hope it grieves you. It makes us cringe. wonder why God doesn't strike them dead where they're at. He can do if he so wishes, but our God is a long-suffering God, right? A long-suffering God. Why should we cringe? Why should it hurt us? King David, remember King David? He was, he was described as a man after God's own heart. So that's how close to the heart of God that King David was. And he got really uptight and upset when this kind of thing took place. And he prayed. It was an imprecatory prayer. And this is what he prayed. That those who take the Lord's name in vain, that they might be slain, and how because of their blasphemy, they are from here on his enemies. Because, Lord, they are your enemies and they blaspheme your name, they are my enemies. That's how he expressed his horror and the hurt of his heart when he heard the name of his Lord being blasphemed. And so we might ask at this point, so what's so important about the name of the Lord? What's so great about it? Firstly, we see in our text here that the Lord is very protective of a name and we had a look at that the other week, that he's a jealous God, right? We looked at that jealousy and what that really meant. He's jealous of his name. And he said to himself, you shall not take the name of your Lord in vain. There's the prohibition. Notice in saying this, he again uses that sacred name, Yahweh. This is the covenant name that he gave to identify himself to his chosen people Israel. It means the self-existing, promise-keeping God. Yahweh, it's translated in your Bibles, or it should be, in capital letters, L-O-R-D. In our Bibles, is the most sacred name in all of Scripture. And we did mention that last week. And notice again, he uses the name God. And, and we looked at that also, and it means the mighty God. The all-powerful God. And so here we have this plural name of God in the Hebrew. It speaks of the overwhelming majesty of God. Yahweh. But again, please note that Yahweh, the mighty one, belongs to who? How's that text written? The Lord, your God. You see that? Your God. He speaks as if to say, I am your God and you individually stand before me because I am your God. And all that that name means. 
So here is the eternally self-existing, covenant-keeping, mighty God. He is for you. He is your God. And that is his name, folks. That's his name. Wow. That brings the Lord up close and personal, doesn't it? What a majestic combination these two names are together. Yahweh, God, Lord, God. What a glorious thing that the Lord would declare himself to be your God, our God. How worthy these names are of our uttermost reverence of anyone who takes them upon their lips. So in answer to our question about the importance of God's name, we must see and understand that it means a whole lot more than just the mere letters that make up the word, right? You might look at my name, you know, my name's Jeff with a G. It doesn't mean a whole lot, right? It doesn't mean a whole lot. You probably don't know, but it means God's peace. But when you think about Jeff, the word doesn't mean a whole lot, but the Lord's name does. His name is to be understood as encompassing all that God is and does. You got that? All that God is and does. Just a couple here. And says. It's a bit like when someone describes another's reputation by saying, and you would have heard this, maybe you've used it yourself, well, he's got a very good name in this town or in this community. You heard that? And, And so by saying that, we do not mean that this person's written name or the letters that form his name are anything special. A bit like G-E-O-F-F, nothing special. Rather, what we mean when we say that, that he's got a good name in the community, we would mean that his character and his business dealings and his moral standing and everything about him is good, above reproach. Folks, the same is true, but in a much greater, magnificent way of God's name. His name refers to his full character, his nature, his power, his works, all his perfections or attributes if you want to call them. Everything that's true about him revealed in his word. That's what his name means. So in understanding this commandment, we will see that we are to revere his holy name because his name, folks, his name cradles all that is true of God. His name, like a reputation, houses his character, his perfections, his power, his word, and his actions, and everything about him that you have learned. That's why you need to learn about God, right? You need to move on from the basic fundamentals that Paul reminds the Corinthians. You need to get past the ankles. You need to wade up to your waist into the things of God so that you will know something more and more. And by the, by the way, it's, this is not fathomable. We cannot get to the end of it. But the, what God has told about himself and his word is what we must learn. This is why Bible study is absolutely imperative for the believer because if you don't feed your soul about who God is, you'll be wimpish and you'll starve and you'll have wrong thoughts and ideas about God which is what? Idol worship. 
But as we think about this, we must also understand that we not only show reverence, not only to his name, but also the means that he's used to make himself known to us. And what is the means? Some dream or some heavenly vision or God spoke to me. No. The means is his word. This is why we're a Bible-believing, teaching church here. The means that God uses to reveal truth about himself is the scripture. It is all sufficient for life and for godliness. It is authoritative. It is our authority. It's not what I say, it's what the word of God says. In other words, there is no room for esteeming God's word or questioning its authority or its sufficiency or its veracity for our lives. There's no room for that. There's no room for us to treat the indwelling spirit of God in us and his work in us as an optional extra or, or something peripheral that you can take on board if you want to. There's no room for that. There's no room for us to treat his commands indifferently. Folks, we're not to take the Lord's name in vain. This means that we are equally responsible to revere the name of the Lord in all that he does and says. That means your language about him will honour the Lord your God. That means your worship, your church life, your personal devotion, your family and your working life is to be a song of praise glorifying him. You will hallow his name, a true believer will. What we do and say and think is to be an anthem of reverence and hallowing the name of the Lord. Is that how it is? So here is a challenge, folks. How do you use and treat God's name? Thinking of the comprehensiveness of what that means. Do you treat his name and all it means with the kind of reverence that this command, third command demands of us? May we be encouraged to drink in all that the Lord's name contains and live lives that that say to others, because we are to be a living testimony, right? A testimony not of ourselves, and not a testimony of this church, not a testimony of the elders, not a testimony of any denomination, a testimony of who the Lord is. Christ is our centre, Christ is our head, right? Your lives are to be living testimonies that says this, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 113 verse 2. That's what our lives are to be. Let's dig a little further and um, we'll have a look at understanding the prohibition of this commandment. So having gained something of the breadth of the third command, I now want to, get, I want to get a bit more specific. I want to put some more legs on it, so to speak. I want to bring to your attention some practical examples of how we can be in breach of this third commandment and maybe without even realising it. No excuses after today, folks, right? Sorry. You're going to be more accountable. To the Lord, not to me. The Hebrew word translated vain in this commandment means false, empty, or to no good purpose. That's what it means. So to take something in vain means to speak or use for no good use in an empty and pointless, unworthy way. 
That's what it means. And specifically God says here, you shall not take the name of your Lord God, of the Lord God, Lord your God in vain. And as we have seen, this does not mean God's name in mere word or letter form, but everything that's true about him. We are to treat matchlessly, matchlessly sacred. We are to handle all that his name speaks of with the greatest reverential care possible. Now this is where we want to become practical, so let's look at where perhaps we've become a little lapse on this third commandment. And I speak this with grace, because I'm guilty, just like you no doubt, of breaking this. But by God's grace, we can move on and progress in this. You know, as we've discussed, breaching this commandment is rampant in our culture and everywhere around us at work and on the screen we watch and we hear that the Lord's name, how the Lord's name is abused every day as an expletive in various forms. It's all over. That's one thing, but it should not be so amongst the Lord's people. You have to agree with me on that, amen? It should not be so. After all, what a dreadful thing it is to take the most sacred thing we could ever take upon our lips, the name of God, and curse with it. And if you cringe at such blasphemy, think how it must be like a slap in the face of the Lord your God himself, the I am the Mighty One. We must never minimise the evil of such an act. But as we may know, there are, there are also many subtle forms of this sin other than blatant, blasphemous cuss words. And it's here many believers are in breach of this third command. Whenever we use God's name and all that involves, not so much as a curse or as a profanity, but maybe in a thoughtless and careless way, even in a jovial way, you know what? When we think carelessly, when we speak carelessly, when we speak lightly, when we make jokes about anything that has to do with God or the means that he reveals himself with us, his word, we are in breach of this third command. We are third commandment breakers. Whether it be using the acronym OMG or any trite jokes like when, you know, you would have heard them, when entering into the pearly gates, St. Peter is standing there, etc., etc., or about some fictitious conversation some person has with God, and it ends up being a joke, joke. You've heard those things. You know what, folks? That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Don't do that. Don't go there. But there's also other ways. Have you ever told someone you will pray for them and you don't? I confess I have. Whether it's been my forgetful memory or what, but that's not no excuse. I've said to you, I'll pray for you. And I don't make a habit of this either, by the way. Thank God, praise God. But I've learned not to say, I will pray for you glibly. I pull back from that until I really, really mean it. Because if you say you're going to pray for something, you're telling that person that you're going to bring them up to God's throne of grace. God hears your words, he hears your mind, he knows your thoughts, and you don't. That is in breach of the third command. It's treating something of God lightly. 
There are many other ways that we can violate God's intentions for us in this commandment. We take his name in vain when we profess to belong to him, but our lives are an open display of that hypocrisy. As Peter brought out, hallowing the name of the Lord is not just saying special words, it's about living for Christ. And if we say that we love him and we belong to him, we come to church on Sundays, but the rest of the week says the opposite, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. We dishonour his name when we treat lightly and and perhaps even complain of the worshipful service that God has given us and even obeying the Lord's commands and by partaking of the ordinances. Partaking of the of, of the communion table. If if we don't treat that with all the awe and the reverence and the majesty that it is, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. Israel did that. They didn't obey the Lord's ordinances and they were warned about it in Malachi chapter 1 verses 12 to 13. We dishonour the Lord's name when we speak ill of others. Did you know that? Especially the saints. Matter of fact, every single person in the world is made in the image of God and when we deride them and call them names... It's a thorough reflection of the image of God and the fact that they're human beings. And when we speak ill of others and slander those, especially whom God has placed in authority over us, whether it be government, but more especially in the church, when we slander those in the church, like Israel was warned against in Exodus 22, 28, it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Now we may think this is over the top, but entering into anything that slights the name of the Lord, it lacks reverence, folks. That's what it reveals. Not only ever grieves the Lord himself, it never glorifies him. That's what our purpose is for living, right? To glorify the Lord. A lack of reverence only ever displays hearts that do not really love him. You got that? A lack of reverence only ever displays hearts that do not love him as we ought. It reveals a heart that does not sincerely approach him in a manner that truly suits the majesty of his glory. It's a serious sin. That brings us to understanding the seriousness of this commandment. For God says in here, In this one verse, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now we need to understand that this statement is spoken rhetorically, can we say. There's a special word for it and some of you English experts will know. You know, when we uh, say something that means something far, far greater, it's a bit like saying, Uh, Johnny works to put bread on the table, blah, blah, blah. Now, you don't mean that he's working to put a literal loaf of bread on the table, do you? What you mean by that is something far greater. He works so that he can supply 
his family. He can pay for the food, true, but he can pay for clothing, he pays for transport, he pays for his children's education, he pays the rent, etc. That's what you mean by working to put bread on the table. The same literary device is used here in this section. Or put it in another way, what this means is the Lord will not neglect the matter, but he will most certainly and justly punish it. That's what it means, this last section here. So it may look okay, will not hold him guiltless. But it means more than that. Now God states this in a way that speaks of a person, by the way, who habitually takes his name in vain. Now, no genuine believer would habitually, purposefully, intentionally take the Lord's name in vain. No believer would do that. If you are, call yourself a believer, and if you habitually take the Lord's name in vain, I suggest you seriously get down and see where you are with the Lord. You've got a problem. And so this should be a comfort to us who are believers because... We've all fallen into sin in some way or other, at some time or another, and, and because the Lord Jesus has died for all our sin, including this sin, it has been paid for fully at the cross. We should take great comfort in this. And because God is a merciful God, He will forgive any sinner who confesses his sin and trusts in the cross of Jesus Christ and turns from his sin, including this sin here we are speaking specifically of, with a sincere heart. He will forgive him. So God is not talking about here extracting punishment from his children who at one time blasphemed his name, but now... Hold his name dear. But what he is doing is here is he's promising that he will indeed punish the sin in those who will not turn from it. That's what he's promising here. This is not a sin against society, by the way. Have you ever noticed it? It's not a sin against society or culture that, uh, where the justice system of our, our nation, um, hands out punishment for it. Matter of fact, blasphemy in this country is considered the norm by our politicians included. It's not a sin. But you know what? It's a sin against God. He's the higher government. And you know what? He will exact punishment for this sin. And Jesus has said in Matthew 12 and 26 that, um, on, that I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless, every careless word that they speak. That's what he says in that verse. And because of this, and if you're an unbeliever, you need to repent and believe the gospel for a complete and total forgiveness of all your sin. You need to do that. That's the commandment of the Lord. Repent and believe. And those who follow Christ, we need to confess our sin in this area. Because we are assured of the promise that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we may be and speak and affirm from our hearts only what is true and right and in sync with the heart of God. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? No, he fluffed up many of times and probably in sins more horrendous than yours. But the whole bent of his life was that he revered the name of the Lord and all that that speaks of. 
He was in sync with the heart of God. Are we, we all in sync with the heart of God? Do we hallow the name of the Lord as we should? I'll leave that challenge with you, but in the close of this message, I want to share a story that I borrowed to illustrate this point. And the story goes like this. There was once a very wealthy man who lived several hundred years ago who had three sons. And one day his wife made the shocking confession to him that only one of the three were actually his. And years later, as this man lay dying, he wished to pass his estate on to his son. But he didn't know for sure which of the three were truly his. So he devised a test. He ordered that after he died, the executors of his estate were to fix his body on a tree and each of the three boys were to be given a bow and arrow and he instructed that each one of the boys were to take an arrow and shoot it at his body and the one whose arrow got closest to his heart would get the estate. Soon afterwards, the man died. And the executors of his trusted as exactly as they were instructed. And the first son, longing for the father's estate, took careful aim and shot his arrow as closely as he could to the father's heart. And so did the second. But the third son, out of love and respect for the father, and out of a natural disposition to show reverence to him, refused to even receive a bow and arrow or dare to harm the heart of his father in any way. And it was at that point that the executors correctly judged that he, rather than the other two, was a true son. You see, he was the one that proved to be nearest to the father's heart and thus proved to be the true son of his father and as a result the father's entire estate was awarded to him the point of the story is folks each time someone takes the name of God in vain each time someone uses his name in a thoughtless way or as a curse or to support an insincere oath or in any way that dishonors the things of God or treats them without reverence, they deserve, they are firing an arrow straight at the Father's heart. And a true son or a daughter of God will not do that. A true son of the father reveals his identity by the fact that he honours and reverences God's name along with all that his name stands for. How near to the heart of the heavenly father do you really prove to be? Do I really prove to be? Because the reverence which you and I treat the name of the Lord will reveal the truth. May we be challenged with this little message this morning on how we revere 
the name of the Lord. Shall we stand? I want to close with a, a prayer and a benediction this morning. If any of you have any questions, queries, please feel free to speak to us, speak to myself or Elder Steve over there, Pete in the front, about any of these things. We'd love to talk to you. Our Father, which art in heaven, oh Father, we say ever so carefully, hallowed be your name. Oh Father, give us hearts that are more in sync with you from this day forward than ever have been before. Oh Father, grow us more and more into the image of Christ, we pray. Oh Father, we cannot depend on our own strength. We need you in our lives, Father. Teach us from your word. Oh Father, may your name be glorified in the way we live, in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces. Oh, Father, may we be those who esteem the name of the Lord and exalt his name forevermore. Now, the God of peace who brought you, brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.